0: The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 40, 1-5. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know how far back you remember sermons, six weeks ago I had the opportunity to preach here on Psalm 34, which like Psalm 40 today is about what to do when you're in trouble. And so I'm going to get a reputation, if uh, this keeps up, of being either the troubling or the troubled pastor here. Uh, I thought about just preaching the same sermon, you may not remember it, but I I did write one, a new one for you. In the opening of her book, Courage, Dear Heart, the Christian author Rebecca K. Reynolds tells a story of a unique Easter celebration at her church. And in the weeks leading up to Easter, what they did is they asked everyone in the congregation uh, to come to, to a certain table or set of tables in the lobby that had these little strips of colored paper on them. And they asked everyone in the congregation to write a word on the strip of colored paper. And the only prompt was, what is your greatest sorrow or struggle? So the congregation was to write that word on that colorful piece of paper. And so they had these words like abused, cancer, porn, shame, debt, addict, loneliness, sexual temptations, Obesity, that one cheated, there's two words. Anyway, obesity, my mom, my son, bankruptcy. It was a large church, over 200 strips of paper had the word discouraged. I wonder what you would write if we had that opportunity in the lobby today. No matter how good things are going for you right now, Everyone can answer that question. What is your greatest sorrow or struggle? What's your greatest trouble? Whether you're six or 60, male or female, rich or poor, you have an answer for that question because we all live in this broken world. Now, whatever that trouble is for you, it may be something you can reasonably expect will pass. Maybe it's something that you know just a little longer and you'll be through it. Or maybe it's something that, that may be forever in this life. It could even be terminal. What would you write on that little strip of paper? What's your current trouble? In our text today, Psalm 40, David is in trouble and not for the first time in his life. We don't know the details, only we know that people want to kill him. He says that in verse 14. And then he gives us this psalm and it comes to us in two different parts. The first part is all about thanksgiving for God's past deliverance. And then the second part the last part is David seeking the Lord for deliverance in the present. So according to this psalm, how do we get out of trouble? Well, if we believe in the living God, then strictly speaking, technically speaking, we don't get out of trouble. Instead, we find peace and hope and deliverance from our trouble by trusting God to get us out of trouble. And that's what David exemplifies for us here. In Psalm 40, he shows us why and how we can trust God in our trouble until he delivers us from our trouble. So that's where we're going. We're going to see the why we can trust God in our trouble and how, what it looks like to trust God in your trouble. And we're obviously not going to be exhaustive about all the reasons that you can trust God in your trouble. Really, David, focuses us in on one, and we'll see what that one big why is. It is God's past goodness. We can trust God in the midst of our present troubles because of God's past goodness. In order to do that, you and I have to know and remember God's past goodness. Now, how can you know whether or not you can trust your mechanic, for example? Well, where do you start? Probably with with reviews. You get recommendations maybe from people in church or online. You try to find other people's past experience with your mechanic. And maybe you have past experience there, and that's why you continue to go there. Or if you go to a restaurant and you decide to order something that you've never had on the menu before, how do you decide whether you think that's going to be good? Well, maybe you've looked at Yelp reviews in advance and you've searched for the recommended dishes. Or maybe you've just been there enough that you trust the chef that whatever comes out, you're going to like. In the same way, where can we look to know and remember God's goodness? We can go to at least three places, and Yelp isn't one of them. We could go to the scripture. We can go to the testimony of other believers, past and present, and you can go to your own experience. In the scripture we're looking at today, in Psalm 40, we'll see David's testimony of God's past goodness, and we're reminded to think about our own experience of God's goodness to us in the past. David starts with these words in in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. So the first thing we see is that in past trouble, David had to wait. He had to wait. As one of my favorite philosophers, Tom Petty, said, the waiting is the hardest part. Every day you get one more yard. You take it on faith. You take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. Have you ever had to wait patiently on the Lord? Do you know the Hebrew there is, I waited waiting on the Lord. And whenever Hebrew words double up like that, waited, waiting, it's really, uh, we would say, I really waited. There was a lot of waiting. The translators put a nice spin on it with that word patiently. But it sounds like David didn't really have a choice. He's remembering a time when he had to wait on the Lord. It was a wait that was longer than the wait of trying to pick up Chick-fil-A on a Saturday at lunchtime. It was a wait that was longer than what it feels like to be in a 40-minute car ride when you're four years old. It was a how long, O Lord, kind of waiting. He had to wait on the Lord. But then what happened? At the end of the waiting, the Lord turned to David and heard his cry for help. The Lord looked and saw and heard. And the Lord saved him. We don't know the details. But the Lord brought him up out of the pit of despair and set him in a solid place. So David is remembering back to a specific time. He's in present trouble, and he's remembering back to a specific time when God had been good to him. And he remembers how he felt after that and what he did after that. Verse 3, after past trouble, David sang God's praises. David says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. God's uh, deliverance of David was so thorough that he had to sing about it. He had to write a new song about it. It was so free and so good that he had to sing. Can you remember a time like that in your life? Even if you're in troubled times now, can you think back on a time when God was so good to you? Maybe you didn't write a song, but you had to sing to him because of his goodness. If you're a Christian, there's at least one time in your life you can remember back to like that. You can look back and praise the Lord for the day that he opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel. When you finally saw that Jesus paid it all, that he died in your place, that your sins were covered and atoned for in him so that you could be redeemed and brought into the new life of God, you can look back to that day when you sang God's praises. God's goodness and his past goodness is why we sing together on Sundays. It's why we sing together loudly as a congregation so that we can hear one another and encourage one another in the singing as Jess led us to do just earlier this morning. Maybe one of those words on those colorful pieces of paper describes where you're at right now. Addict, lonely, ashamed, sick. If that's where you're sitting, can you think back to a time when the Lord has delivered you? Can you remember back to a specific time or two when he brought you out of trouble? We've got to remember God's past goodness to get out of trouble. I can remember for myself as a young Christian how the Lord saved me out of a broken home and how I felt so freed to sing to him and so grateful. And when I'm in those seasons of doubting and struggle, I look back to those days or to other days when he's delivered me. Or maybe you're not a Christian or you're doubting your faith. You're not even sure you believe in God, but you're here. Someone brought you here or the Lord just directed your steps. If that's where you are today, if you're in doubt, right now Jesus is calling you to have faith. Have faith that God exists and that he's good. Have faith. Cry out to him out of that trouble. Say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe you say to me, Adam, you have no idea the trouble that I've been through. You've no idea what I've seen. You, you've no idea the pain that I've had. How can God be good? Well, come out of that today. The pain, the pain that you've experienced in the past has understandably closed you off to emotional and spiritual vulnerability, but risk today, risk vulnerability to the living God in prayer. And the only wounds, I promise, the only wounds that the living God will give you are wounds that will make you whole. They're not wounds that will hurt you and cut you like people have hurt you with in the past. Open your heart again to the possibility of a living and good God. Wait patiently for the Lord. Cry out to him about your trouble. He will turn to you and hear. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so there's rest and blessing for us if we go to the Lord with our troubles. David testifies to this in verses 4 and 5. David reminds us that God's past goodness is unrivaled. It's incomparable. He says, how happy, verse 4, or how blessed. Is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or those who run after lies? There is an endless stream of arrogant and misguided people out there who offer solutions to our troubles. No doubt there's wise counsel out there as well, but there are plenty of arrogant and misguided people offering solutions to our troubles. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are business leaders or self-help gurus or professors. The point here is that blessedness in our troubles, reliable happiness in our troubles, comes from trusting Yahweh, and no one else can compare. Other people can be wise counselors, but they will let you down. But put your trust in the Lord, and he will never disappoint, even if sometimes it feels like he delays Like those stained glass windows made out of strips of paper. I don't know if I finished that story. They were going to take those strips of paper and glue them to, I guess, a sheet of plexiglass or something and shine a light through them to make something beautiful out of what was broken, like what God does. And like those stained glass windows made of strips of paper with troubles written on them, Yahweh is the one who will redeem every trouble. Or as Tolkien put it, He'll make every sad thing come untrue. He will deliver. His goodness is unrivaled. In fact, He alone is good. And look at verse 5 Yahweh, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. So God's past wondrous works cannot be counted. How many good works of God could we count just in the Bible? And where would you even start? I guess it would have to be in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. That's a wondrous work of God. And then with each day of creation, he created a whole new set of things that were wondrous works. And each individual thing, in each cell, I suppose, in each individual thing, how could you possibly count the wonderful works of God? We would lose count even in the very first chapter of the Bible. Maybe you know the hymn, The Love of God, and the verse that goes, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, those stretched from sky to sky. God's good works towards his people are like that. In the Gospel of John, John says, I couldn't even begin to write everything Jesus did. It would take up all the parchment in the world. Think back over your own life. What has God done for you? Where would you start? How far could you get in your life before you lost count? Maybe you've had a hard life, but he's given you life and breath. He's fed you and kept you clothed. He's brought you out of hard times. You've seen beautiful sunsets. And maybe even some sunrises. He's given you work to do. You probably have air conditioning and indoor plumbing. You have hobbies. He's given you people that love you and people for you to love. Was all this goodness given to us by an impersonal, material universe? God's goodness is unrivaled, it's incomparable. And we could go on for the rest of the day about it. How can we get out of trouble? The first step in this psalm is to remember God's past goodness. His past goodness to David, to us, his church, and to you personally. That's why you can trust the Lord in your trouble, at least in this psalm. But after this first part of Psalm 40, David, uh, he's, he's done now thanking God for his past deliverance and he moves to seeking God for present deliverance, present help in his current trouble. And so we've seen why we can trust the Lord. Let's talk now about how to trust the Lord in your current trouble, what it looks like. David exemplifies four actions of trusting in God in trouble. The first is to take great joy in God. Take great joy in God. To trust God in your trouble will require you to take great joy in God. Let me ask you a question that you should not answer out loud. Who is somebody You've just never enjoyed being around. Don't nudge anybody. Who's somebody you've just never enjoyed being around? Now let me ask you this question. Do you trust them? Of course not. You can't trust someone you don't enjoy being around. On the other hand, who's somebody that you love being around? There's a good chance you can trust them, at least to some degree. In verses 6 through 8, David is getting ready to entrust his trouble to God. And we can see in these verses how much he enjoys the Lord. Look with me at those verses, verses 6 through 8. You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I have come in the scroll it is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. In other words, as Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, has the Lord, he's asking a question, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. That's what's going on with David here. He's saying he enjoys God, he delights to do God's will, and that's more important to God than all the outward trappings of religion. David's delight is not in religious activity or in getting what he wants from God because he obeys God. How do you know that maybe you have an idol that's not God? Well, if you don't get what you want from God and you're despondent, it may be that thing you wanted is more important to you than God. That is your delight and God is not. But David's joy is in God and in doing God's will. Trusting God looks like taking great joy in God and in doing His will. So do you delight to do God's will? Notice the question is not, do you do God's will? The question is deeper than that. Do you delight in God and in doing His will? That's the first action of trust that David exemplifies. And the second is David proclaims God's goodness to others. He proclaims God's goodness to others. So we must tell of our joy in God. That's part of trusting God. This is in verses 9 and 10. He says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I don't keep my mouth closed as you know, Lord. He's reminding the Lord. I don't hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. So trust in God looks like taking joy in God and telling of the joy you have in God. Do you know in just a few minutes when this service is over, you're going to have a perfect opportunity to tell of the joy you have in God. You could talk to somebody in the lobby about your joy in the Lord. What a, uh, is there a more natural place to do that than after church in the lobby of church on a Sunday to speak up about your joy in God, to say, can I tell you what Jesus did for me this week? But of course, you can also bring up God's goodness anywhere. It could be at the checkout line or in a restaurant or your neighborhood. If you're on Slack, which is an app where our church can chat, uh, I'd encourage you to join the Love Your Neighbor channel. And there we're sharing different ways that people at Redeemer are trying to reach their neighbors and tell them about the joy of God in the gospel. Uh, On Friday night, there was a cookout somebody held in their neighborhood, had everybody over, and yesterday I heard a very encouraging report about that, that the miners were able to begin to tell their neighbors about the goodness of God. That came out of their joy in God. Now, do you trust the Lord like that? Do you speak up about his constant love and truth? Trusting God looks in part like telling others about his goodness. But I want you to notice that repeated phrase in verses 10 and 11. Uh, Do you see it? It should be repeated in whatever translation you're using. In the Christian Standard Bible, it's the phrase constant love and truth. In the English Standard Version, it's steadfast love and faithfulness. Trusting God looks not only like telling others about God and enjoying God. It also looks like trusting God's love for you. Trusting God's love for you. It's finally here in verse 11 that David begins to ask God for what he wants. He prays, Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. And hear these next words. My iniquities have overtaken me. David's own sin, his own wrongdoing is part of why he's in trouble. He goes on to say, I'm unable to see. My troubles are more than the hairs of my head and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Christian parents, especially you parents of teenagers, where I think this gets harder, teenagers and older, Can your children come to you for help when it's their own idiocy or sin that got them in trouble? That's the kind of father that the Lord is. David knows Yahweh to be the kind of father who when his own iniquities have caught up to him, he can go to God for help. Are your sins catching up to you? Trust God's love for you and turn to him for help. Is your addiction finally overtaking you? Is your fear of people controlling you? Is money dictating your life, whether it's having a lot of it or not, ever enough? Or is food or your body image controlling you? Are you in rebellion against your parents and you're finally seeing it's not working and it may even be ruining your life? Is there a sin that's causing you the trouble you're having today? Like the prodigal son? Are you out, lost in your own muck, and you're coming to your senses? Trust God. Trust His constant, steadfast love and truth to always guard you. This love of Yahweh isn't isn't just a love with a strong adjective in front of it, steadfast or constant. No, the word here refers to the covenant faithfulness of God, the covenant love of God. God has covenanted with his people to bless them without condition. He's made a promise. And this steadfast love is his covenant faithfulness. Here's what that means for you. It means if you are in Christ by faith and therefore a part of the covenant people of God, then for God to stop loving you would require God to break his own word The entire Bible would have to be false. The entire cosmos would have to come undone for him to stop loving you if you're in Christ by faith. If you're in Christ, then God can no more stop loving you than gravity can turn off. Are you still stuck to the earth today? I can see that you are. Are the planets still in motion? Can you see the sun? Not right now. Can you see the moon? Can you see the stars? Is the world still spinning? Then, if you're in Christ, no matter what you've done, God's steadfast love still rests on you. Will you trust him? Will you come to him? You can trust him. Will you? Even in your self-inflicted trouble. Will you go to him? David does. He asks the Lord to hurry to help him, and then he entrusts Fourth, he entrusts his troubles to God. It's the fourth way David shows us how to trust God with our present trouble. Entrust your troubles to God. The last four verses of Psalm 40, in these verses, David asks God to let the people who are trying to kill him be disgraced and thwarted and shamed. And then he asks, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say the Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy, May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. David entrusts his troubles to God, trusting that God will do what's right. In Deuteronomy 32, 35, the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. David trusts that promise of God. So how do we get out of trouble? We leave our trouble with God in prayer. And then we wait. We wait for him to make things right. That sounds kind of weak, doesn't it? That sounds a little passive, to wait. Maybe some would say it sounds unmanly, to just pray and wait. What it actually is, though, is faith. It is not passive unless you don't believe Yahweh exists. In faithful prayer, we entrust our troubles to God. Are you trying to numb your pain, your trouble? Are you trying to escape your pain and your struggle? Run from that. Quit that today and instead pray. And give other people permission to pray with you over your trouble take your specific trouble to God in prayer as best you can name it and leave it there with him and come back tomorrow and do the same thing just like you entrust your money to the bank just like you entrust your life to the pilot when you get on a plane entrust your trouble to God like that he can be trusted with it and so we've talked about why you can trust God and how to trust God with your trouble and i want to close with this question what about when your troubles eclipse your tru- your trust What about when your troubles eclipse your trust? In other words, what about when God's past goodness is hard to get to, spiritually, emotionally, it's hard to see? What about when you try to do all that David did here and your troubles still overwhelm you, what then? You may already know my answer. The answer is Jesus. In that case, if your troubles overwhelm you, be assured that Christ himself has already gone ahead of you carrying your troubles to the Lord on your behalf. The book of Hebrews says that in Christ we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us on our weakness. He knows our troubles and temptations firsthand. In fact, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it quotes this psalm. Hebrews 10 quotes Psalm 40, uh, 40 verses 6 through 8. I've put that passage up on the screen. Take a look at that. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 5. Therefore, as he, that's Jesus, was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. And skip ahead to verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. When we struggle to go to God with our troubles, Jesus has gone ahead of us. He's already obeyed Psalm 40 perfectly for us in our place, which means this. means your troubles, today's troubles, have already been prayed for perfectly by the one who perfectly delighted to do the will of God, by the one who certainly is loved by God with steadfast love. If you've turned from trusting in yourself to trusting in Christ, he has already asked God not to delay in delivering you. He died the death you deserved for your sin, and he rose three days later victorious. And I love the way Pastor Dane Ortland summarizes all this in reflecting on this psalm. He says, looking back at this supreme act of deliverance, the cross, and forward to Christ's second return and our final deliverance, we look to God in confidence despite our present adversities. Looking back, looking forward, looking to God in confidence. And when you can't look to God in confidence, when you don't feel confident looking to God, Jesus has looked to him on your behalf. So take heart, brother or sister in Christ. And if you're not in Christ yet today, take Christ, don't wait another minute. Take hold of this one by faith who's praying for you who will deliver you. And what then? Here's two practical things to do from this psalm. Number one, tell someone about the goodness of the Lord to you today. Tell someone, remind someone of God's past goodness to you. Number two, if you're not already doing this, consider starting to keep a record of the Lord's goodness to you and looking at that record regularly. Have a journal of what God has done and look at it regularly. The Puritan John Flavel wrote in a little book on God's providence this suggestion. He says, take heed of clasping up those rich treasures of God's goodness to you in a book and thinking it enough to have noted them there, but have frequent recourse to them, keep looking them as often as new needs, fears, or difficulties arise and assault you. Now, it is seasonable to consider and reflect, was I never so distressed before? Is this the first plunge that ever befell me? Make it as much your business to preserve the sense and value of the memory of former providences, and the fruit will be sweet to you. Consider starting a journal of God's goodness to you and looking over it regularly, especially the next time you face trouble. Let's go to Him together now in prayer. Lord Yahweh, thank you that you are a God who is sovereign and who is good. Thank you that you will bring about justice and deliverance. So don't delay. For those who are in trouble here today, don't delay, Lord. Deliver them. And we pray also, Lord, come quickly. We thank you for this bread and cup we're about to receive as we remember Christ's body and blood given for us. Thank you that he went through trouble, the ultimate trouble of being underneath your wrath so that we would never have to experience that trouble. Thank you for that deliverance, Lord. Help us to take it in faith. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.